unfolds this very famous statement of the Upanishads Tattvamasi that thou art you the individual self is none other than Brahman is none other than the limitless that you are limitless because this statement requires to be understood then we will understand what is meant by you I know I mean this statement definitely contradicts all my experiences when someone says that you are limitless, it definitely contradicts all my experiences. I know I am not limitless. And still the Upanishad says you are limitless and you are ever free. Not that you have to become free, you are ever free. That also contradicts my experience that I am bound, helpless in every way. That means that this statement has to be understood. Then we have to understand each word comprising this statement. And there are just three words making up the statement. You are Brahman. Now, if you look upon Upanishad as Pramana, important thing is that we look upon the Upanishads or Vedanta as Pramana meaning the valid means of knowledge. Just as the ears, the faculty of hearing is a Pramana, the valid means of knowledge for hearing these words, or the eyes are the valid means of knowledge for perception of colors and forms, and we don't question that. When my eyes tell me that this is orange color, I accept it in faith. When my ears tell me that the English language is being spoken, I accept it. So that is the relationship that we have, we have with what we call pramanam or valid means of knowledge. So the relationship that we have is one of acceptance. This is called Shraddha. Shraddha means an implicit faith or trust that whatever it is that this means of knowledge reveals is true. And similarly also the scriptures say that you are limitless. If you look upon this statement as pramanam, meaning the valid means of knowledge, then we accept it in faith. Then it means that we have to, now of course it contradicts my experience. And therefore, if we have trust in what the Upanishads reveal, if we accept that as pramanam, meaning that we accept that in faith or trust, then there is this contradiction in our life that Upanishads say something about me and my own experience says something else about me. Then what is right? Either I should say that what I am, I know myself and I am, I'm, you know, I know what I am and therefore Upanishad is wrong. Or I accept that what the Upanishad says is right and maybe I should examine my own conclusion about myself. Although I use the word experience, that I am, it is my experience that I am a limited being, I should not say it is my experience that I am a limited being, it is my conclusion that I am a limited being. Not experience, but conclusion that I am a limited being. And Upanishad's conclusion is that I am limitless. Thus, there, is, there are these two contradictory opinions. If I have trust in the Upanishads, then I will examine my conclusion whether do I have valid reasons 
to hold this opinion about me that I am a limited being. And this is something very important to me because this sense of limitation is the cause of all the sorrow. The cause of all the sorrow in my life is the sense of limitation about me. That whenever I look upon myself, when I think of myself as a limited being, as we say in the morning, as helpless, as dependent, as insignificant, then I am just unhappy about it. And so, inasmuch as this conclusion about myself is the cause of all the sorrow, and thank God the Upanishad says something quite contrary to my conclusion, therefore, I want to examine whether my conclusion about myself is right. Is it something taken for granted? Is there a valid reason as to why I hold this kind of opinion about myself? Or have I just taken this for granted? And therefore, a lot has to be said. What is the true meaning of the word you? That is I. I have a certain opinion about myself. But is it true that Upanishad unfolds and Bhagavad Gita also unfolds? What is the meaning of I? Ajo nityaha shashvatoyam puranaha nahanyate hanyamane sharire najayate mriyateva kadachit Lord Krishna says, I is what? Najayate mriyateva kadachit It is never born, it never dies, it is unborn, undying, free from growth, free from decay. Nahanyate hanyamane sharire Even when this body is killed or even when this body suffers from injury, the self is not killed, does not suffer from injury. Avina Siddhat Vidhi Yena Sarvamidam Tatam Arjuna Mayuna Yourself is what? Avinasi as indestructible, imperishable. Yena Sarvamidam Tatam by one, one by whom all of the all this is pervaded. Meaning that you are not confined merely to this little body, but that you are all pervasive. In this manner, this, the nature of the self was revealed in the first six chapters of the Gita. And something like that is what Lord Krishna is going to do here also. The nature of what is meant by I, as we said, was the subject matter of the first six chapters of Gita. The meaning of the word that, meaning Ishwara or Brahman was the subject matter of the second six chapters of the Gita. And this third six chapters tell us the identity between I and Brahman and also the means of gaining that knowledge. <coughs> so with that, see, unless we know the identity that cannot be freedom from samsara or suffering, therefore, this knowledge is extremely important and therefore, Lord Krishna begins his discourse with this, with the, with this in the mind, the discourse in the 13th chapter. In some editions of Bhagavad Gita, there is a verse that precedes this statement of Lord Krishna. It, it is said that Arjuna asks a question of Lord Krishna. And that this chapter is a, is a reply to Arjuna's question. Purusham prakritim chaiva kshetram kshetra gnyamevacha etad vedudumichyami jnanam gnyayam chikeshava He keshava, O Lord, Etad Vedam Ichami, I wish to know this. Purusham Prakritim Chaiva. What's the meaning of the Purusha and what is meant by Prakriti? Kshetram Kshetragnevacha. What is Kshetra and what is Kshetragnam? Jnanam Gnayam Jakeshava. What is Jnanam knowledge? 
what is game? That which will be known. I wish to know this. This is said to be a question asked by Arjuna and that thirteen chapter is in reply to that question. But we do not find that question in the standard editions. Nor does Shankaracharya mention that question or mention that verse. And therefore, we begin this chapter with the statement of Lord Krishna. <coughs> Let us read the first verse here. Shri Bhagavan Vacha, Shri Bhagavan Vacha, Idam Shariram Kaunteya, Idam Shariram Kaunteya, Kshetramitya Vidhiyate, Kshetramitya Vidhiyate, Etadyo Vetitam Prahu, Etadyo Vetitam Prahu, Kshetragna Ititadvidaha, Shri Bhagavan Vacha, the Lord said, <coughs> Idam Shariram, Idam means this, Shariram the body, Idam Shariram this body. He Kaunteya, addressing Arjuna as Kaunteya, the son of Kunti. So look, it is not only that Arjuna is identified by his father's lineage, but then he is also identified by his mother's lineage. So Kunti, his mother, Kaunteya, the son of Kunti. And Arjuna's mother was the aunt of Lord Krishna. That is Lord Krishna's father's sister was Arjuna's mother. That of course they were cousins. And so they were friends, they grew up together. And they were very close in relationship as well as in friendship. And therefore, sometimes when we hear this kind of names being used for Arjuna, that also shows his affection for Arjuna. Hey, count there, O son of my aunt, that is my cousin, my brother. Idam shariram kshetram iti abhidhyate. Arjuna understand that this body, abhidhyate, is called kshetram. Kshetram means field. See, uh, what we call field where we cultivate the, the crops and where the harvest is taken, this is called Kshetra in Sanskrit. Lord Krishna says, this body is Kshetra. So what Kshetra can be understood in what we call the, the conventional sense or the word Kshetra also can be understood in what we call the derivative sense. See, every word has, generally speaking, we can trace the root of a word into the into certain root or a stem and that, that is what we call the derivative meaning and a word also has a conventional meaning like Vasudeva means the son of Vasudeva, Lord Krishna that's a conventional meaning but Vasudeva means Vasus Chasudevaha one who is Vasu as well as Devaha that would be the derivative meaning similarly also the word Kshetra means a field so this is a field. And the one you know, one who knows this kshetra is called kshetragnya, the knower of the field. Therefore, this chapter is called the field and the knower of the field. Kshetra kshetragnya vibhaga yogaha. In this chapter, Lord Krishna in fact shows vibhaga, the distinction between kshetra and kshetragnya, the field and the knower of the field. 
So this body is called field. Why is it called? Basically body is called shariram. Shiryamanatva shariram, that which is subject to disintegration is called shariram or body. Body also is called deha. Dasyamanatva, that is subject to being burnt is also called body, deha. It is called kshetram here. It is field. Because as in a field, we sow the seeds and we reap the harvest. We reap the fruits. So where we sow the seeds and reap the fruits is called kshetra or the field. In this body also we sow the seeds and reap the fruits. What kind of seeds? The seeds of what we call karma or the actions. It is human body in which there is a privilege of performing what we call deliberate actions. The kartrutva, the sense of doership is only in the human being. No other creature has this sense of doership, meaning that no other creature as best as we know performs what we call deliberate actions. Kartrutva means doership. Doership means the ability to perform deliberate actions. All other creatures do perform actions, but as best as we know, they perform only impulsive actions, they act impulsively. This is not deliberation. This is not premeditated thing, I mean, it, when a cat sees a mouse, it just jumps, that's all. There's no premeditation, you know, that, oh, this is mouse and sh- mouse and should I do this or should I not do this? It just does. As Swamiji gives an example often that there is a donkey. If you stand behind the donkey, then it just kicks, whoever it is. Impulsive action. On the other hand, the human being is capable of performing a deliberate action. Sometimes I also feel like kicking when I see somebody, I mean, when he says something to me and I lift my leg, then I see the size of the person who is standing in front of me and then I slowly retreat. And thus, there is a deliberation. I can deliberate upon the pros and cons of my action and then I can decide whether I want to perform an action or not. So this is a great privilege, what we call the doership, which comes from the free will, the freedom to perform an action, freedom to make a choice. And therefore, only human being is capable of performing what we call deliberate actions. And when we perform a deliberate action, that action may be right or wrong, meaning that my action may be in keeping with the order of training of life, it may be in keeping with the moral order, or if I act out of my anger or greed, it is possible that I may violate that moral order. So an action performed in keeping with the moral order is called punyam, meaning virtuous action or a meritorious deed. An action deliberately performed in violation of the order is called papam or is the vicious action. And therefore, as human beings we perform what you call virtuous and vicious actions. Nobody can perform only virtuous action. I mean, it's very difficult. Sometime my anger will take over. Sometime my attachment will take over. Sometime my impulse will take over. If you are alert every moment, then it's possible that all our actions may be virtuous and we should also know what virtue is. And sometimes even when I alert also, still there are certain temptations that take over me. And therefore, it is always that the actions that we perform are a combination of virtue and vice, punya and papa. And thus, it is human body in which we sow the seeds in the form of various actions called punya papa, virtue and vice, and we reap the fruits. The punya give rise to what we call sukha or happiness, and papa give rise to dukkha. 
So therefore, this body is called Kshetram, like a field. Therefore, Bhagavad Gita, in fact, opened the opening verse of Bhagavad Gita also says this, Dharma Kshetra Kuru Kshetra. So, Dhritarashtra, the blind king, asks of Sanjaya, what happened in the battlefield? So, battlefield was called Kurukshetra, where Pandavas and Kauravas had assembled to fight the battle, that battlefield was called Kurukshetra. But that Kurukshetra also was well known as a very holy place, a place of pilgrimage. It was a place where many sages also used to be, they used to perform variety of penances and perform many yajna, yaga, etc., sacrificial rituals. And therefore, it was also known, to, very well known, and today also, Kurukshetra today also is known to be a place of pilgrimage, a holy place. Dharmakshetra, Kurukshetra. The Kshetra of the field, which is characterized by dharma or righteousness, Kurukshetra, which is called Kurukshetra. This Pandavas and Kauravas were assembled, what happened between them? This is the question. So, that question describes what happens in the battlefield. And we can also understand that question as to describe subjectively what happens within ourselves. The Dharmakshetra, Kurukshetra, the Kshetra which is called Dharmakshetra or the field characterized by dharma or virtue. So, this human body is a product of dharma or the virtue. So, the scriptures always tell us that Manush, so Narajanma Durlabham Jantunam Narajanma Durlabham to gain a human birth is something very rare. Devanugraha Hetukam it is by the grace of God. It is as a result of a lot of Punya Karma or the virtuous deeds that we must have done in the past that one is we have gained this human birth. Therefore, the human body is called Dharmakshetra Akshetra, that or the field that we have acquired as a result of dharma. And also Akshetra or the field which is acquired for performing dharma. So this human body also is ideally fitted for performing actions based on dharma. It is a result of dharma and it is meant for producing dharma. That people do all kinds of dharma is an unfortunate thing. But then it is for in fact accumulating dharma in order to help myself, to bless myself. So, Dharmakshetra, Kurukshetra is called Kurukshetra because Karmakshetra, which is where karma, the deliberate action is possible. And therefore, Lord Krishna describes his body as Kshetra. And by body, it is not merely meant the physical body, but the entire personality. What Taitriya Upanishad would call Panchakosha or the five koshas, you know. So, this body, the personality, is in fact described as five koshas. Dhyandamaya, Pranamaya, Manomaya, Vijnanamaya, Anandamaya. The five koshas. The five, five levels of personalities. A physical personality is there, a vital personality is there, an emotional personality is there, an intellectual personality is there, and a blissful personality is there. So these five kinds of personalities I have, all of these are included in the word Sharira. All of them are included in the word Sharira or Kshetra. So what Lord Krishna wants to do here is to do what we call the Viveka, a discrimination or separation between Atma and Anatma, Self and Non-Self. And so this simple statement is made, here Arjuna, understand that this body, which means this personality, is also called Prakriti later on, which as we said consists of all these different aspects of my being, 
a physical aspect consisting of this gross body, a vital aspect which comes of prana, the vital end, an emotional aspect which is what we call the mind, an intellectual aspect which is what we call the intellect, and also a, a blissful or happy aspect which is called ananda. All of these understand Arjuna, all of these are the kshetra, the field of experience, meaning it is a field of experience and the one who experiences them is different from them. Why is it necessary to say? Because we do not know this distinction. Lord Krishna will later on say, the word kshetra is confined not only to the body, but includes the whole universe. But Lord Krishna says, Arjuna, understand that you are not the body. This is what the statement means. Why is it necessary to say that? Because I take this body to be myself. Why does it happen? Even though I am not this body, how come I take this body to be myself? I don't know, but we do. What's the reason? Ignorance. Why is it ignorance? I don't know. It's there. See, there is no need to tell me, Swami, you are not this flower. You are not this book. All this is Kshetra. You are not this clock. This is not necessary to be told to me because I know. Hey, you are not this clock. I know I am not this. You are not this table. I know I am. You are not this mud. I am not that. I know this. But then, when it comes to body, that means that this knowledge, this simple rule, that the knower is always different from the object of knowledge. The subject is different from the object. And therefore, when I look at this wall, it never occurs to me that I am looking at myself. It's very clear to me that this wall is not I. In the sense that, when I perceive the wall, the notion of I never arises in it. It is very clear to me that the wall is object of knowledge and I am the subject, the knower. Wall, is, wall falls in the category of what we call known and I am in the category of the knower. That the knower is different from known, this is something I know without being told. If I did not know, then there would have been a lot of problem. But each one of us knows very well that the knower is always different from known. The ghatat drashta, ghatat bhinnaha. The knower of the part is always different from the part. But somehow, when it comes to this body, then this knowledge, this viveka on my part, or this, this understanding on my part, somehow does not seem to work, does not seem to apply. This body, is it also not a kshetra? Is it also not something that is known to me? I mean, I know this body as clearly as I know this wall. I know this wall and I, am, I know that I am the knower of the wall. This body also is very much an object of my knowledge. Yes, that's right. Because there are occasions when I, in fact, identify this body as my body. When I go to the doctor, I tell the doctor, Doctor, what has happened to my body? So then I'm very often I call this body as my body. And when I call it my body then, it shows an intrinsic understanding on my part that the body I am not. So when I say this is my book, then even though I am the possessor of the book, one thing is very clear to me that I am not the book. If the book falls down, I have not fallen down. The book is torn apart, I am not. I don't want the book to fall down on it. But still, if something happens to the book, I know very well that it does not happen to me. Although sometimes it does, of course. 
I know that this car I am not, but still they said it's a scratch on the car. And then there is a scratch in my heart also. So it does happen that sometimes we get so identified with the things outside of ourselves that sometimes we, we, we know we forget that distinction. But usually the distinction is there that the knower is different from the known. But this body of mine also falls in the same category as a pot, as a wall, as a tree. That I am aware of this body. In fact, more intimately aware of the body than I am aware of a tree. I know every limb in, I mean every joint in my body, at least when it pains and things like that. And therefore, I am very aware of this body, very conscious of the body. And still, somehow, the body is taken to be I. It doesn't make sense. Why is it so? That's it. Ignorance doesn't make sense. Is it rational? There is no rationality in life at all, really. The whole beginning is not rational. Then you can apply rationality as much as you want, but this... How, how come I take this body to myself? I don't know. But I do. So where there are two, in fact we lump them together and think that they are one. This is called Abheda Brahma. Where there is Veda or distinction, there is Abheda Brahma, there is a delusion of non-distinction or oneness. When there are, where there are two, there is this Brahma or delusion of one. Where there is one, there is a delusion of two. Upanishad says, I am Brahman. But I look upon Brahman or God as separate from me. So where there is in fact one, there is a delusion of two. And where there are two, the self and non-self are two, I took a look upon them as one. This is the fundamental problem. Why it is so? Well, ignorance. Why ignorance? I don't know. Swamiji's Vedanta is always avoid answers. But suppose I knew why, so what? Who created ignorance? Nobody created it. But suppose God created ignorance. Why did he create? No, the why will never come to an end, you know. And therefore, let us deal with what? Then the question why will not remain. <coughs> so this two appear as one. This happens. The standard example is the lump of iron. There is an iron ball which is round and cold to touch and black in color. And when this iron ball is placed in a furnace and it starts getting heated up and then one, at some point in time it becomes red hot and we have a red hot fireball. It is called fireball. So what has happened is that the iron and fire in fact have mixed together so intimately that both of them, even though in what we call the fireball, there are two elements involved there, iron as well as fire, but then it appears to be one entity. So there are two entities appearing as one. And why is it so? Because in this intimate contact, the iron seems to acquire the properties of fire, and fire seems to acquire the properties of iron, and that's the reason why the distinction between the two cannot be recognized. The iron, which is black in color and cold to touch, but by coming in contact with the fire, the iron becomes hot and red. And the fire, which doesn't have a form, but in, because of this union with the iron, the fire appears to be round. And thus we have a round fireball. And a person who doesn't know that, this represents in fact the intimate union of the two would think that there is one entity called the fireball. 
But in fact, there are two entities. And therefore, the person needs to be told that look, what you think is one is in fact two. The round form doesn't belong to the fire, it belongs to the iron. The red color and the heat do not belong to the fire, iron, they belong to the fire. And then when I see, that is, when I know the lakshana or characteristic of iron and fire both, then in my mind this kind of a distinction happens. The separation between the iron and fire happens in my mind. That even though I see what is apparent, what appears to be one, I can see that it is a union of two. And thus that viveka or discrimination or separation happens in my mind. And that's where it has to happen. Similarly also this body and the self. The self is consciousness. But what happens is that there is an intimate contact between the self and the body as though. And therefore, the body seems to acquire the characteristics of the self, the consciousness, and the consciousness seems to acquire the characteristics of the body. This body, which is inert by nature, insentient by nature, but then, on account of having contact with the consciousness, the body becomes sentient, it becomes live. And since it becomes sentient or alive, therefore, we take it to be the self. So whatever is conscious is habitually taken to be the self and the body seems to display consciousness. But that is not the consciousness of its own, it is what we call borrowed consciousness. Just as at night, the moon appears to be bright. But then, that brightness of the moon doesn't belong to the moon, it is only in the borrowed light of the sun, that moon appears to be bright, and if we do not know, we think that moon is shining in its own light. And similarly also, the life, or sentiency, or the consciousness that the body displays, doesn't belong to that, it belongs to the consciousness, it is borrowed consciousness. But we do not know that. And so the body, which is inert, as though becomes conscious, and the consciousness, which is formless, all-pervasive, on account of the contact, uh, union with the body, appears to be limited to the body. And therefore, where am I? I am here. I do not have the, my existence does not stretch beyond the body. And therefore, the I is confined to the body. Then there is a sense of confinement. The consciousness suffers from a sense of confinement to the body. So, the formless fire as though takes the shape of the iron. Similarly also, the formless consciousness, as though takes the shape of the body. And the black iron becomes red, and so also the inert body, as though becomes conscious. And thus, there are two entities involved here. But then, not knowing that there are two, there are to be one entity, and that's how this conclusion on my part, that I am the body, this arises. This is called identification. There is a habitual identification of the body. You know what is identification? Identification is taking myself to be something different from what I am. In identification, there is a forgetting of one's own identity and as though becoming something else. When, you know, when I'm watching the uh, baseball game and my favorite player is playing and when he hits a homer, here I hit the home run, so he jumps with joy, I jump with the joy here, so I hit the home run. I don't know even how to hold the bat, but at that moment there seems to be an identification. 
when my the team for whom which I am rooting when that wants I jump with you as though I have won watching the movie also when my favorite actor when he is you know he is, his wife has walked out on him and he is weeping and then I and the tears start coming from my eyes also even though this fellow is not even married still he seems to experience the same thing that is going on there this is called identification and we have this experience very often as to how because the sympathetic association like the mother very often when the child falls sick the mother also falls sick child has fever mother also has fever this is the identification and thus we know what identification is we do experience something like that is happening here that I the consciousness the limitless is identified with the body and therefore I have this sympathetic you know reaction to the body and therefore I look upon myself as a body <coughs> as we said the body also includes the mind and so there is an identification of the mind also that means that I equate myself to the body this equation is a right now right now there is an equation therefore Upanishads have to give another equation so right now there is an equation in my, my life what's the equation? I is equal to body so Upanishad gives another equation I is equal to Brahman that's another equation when he said you are Brahman why is it being said? because I said Dehoham so Tattvamasi you are Brahman because I keep on saying I am the body I am the body I am the body since that equation or the thought born of the equation is constantly going on in my mind therefore the need to give us this new equation you are not the body you are Brahman you are limitless you are the consciousness so identification similarly I equate my, just as I equate myself to the body also equate myself with all other aspects of my personality the hunger in the stomach I say I am hungry thirst in the stomach I am thirsty the mind is sad I say I am sad the mind is agitated I am agitated Swamiji I am agitated you are not agitated you are all silence this person comes and tells you Swamiji Swamiji I am agitated help me you are not agitated you are all silence but Swamiji I am agitated you are all silence more this is said more agitated the fellow gets you know <laughs> so he says but I am agitated and you say you know but you are all silence and this fellow got so excited and so agitated that Swami from Swamiji he came to Swami so Swami if you repeat this once more then there will be not one but two persons will be agitated <laughs> and then he was asked why how do you say you are agitated I know I am agitated how do you know you are agitated my mind is agitated alright your mind is agitated that means you are you know that your mind is agitated you are the knower of the agitated mind and therefore all that is necessary that is to create a distance between my mind these thoughts involuntarily arise in my mind sometimes agitation sometimes sadness sometimes variety of thoughts arise since we have not created any distance at all therefore we equate ourselves to the mind and therefore when the mind is agitated I am agitated mind is unhappy I am unhappy so Lord Krishna says idam shariram kaunte kshitram idam idiyate 
he understands, he counts the hair, you know, this body, many including this mind, mind also is kshetra, there is also the object of your knowledge, there is also non-self, the mind also not, is not the self. Mind also is material, is also a product of matter. And so also the intellect. Intellect means all various knowledge that I have, various concepts that I have, that also is not you. Even the ego also is not you. Your memories are not you. And your ignorance also is not you. None of this is you because all of these are known to you. You are aware of them. You are conscious of them. The one who is aware of them is different from all these objects of which he is aware. This very simple thing is stated. This is called Druk Drushya Vivekaha. Description, discrimination or separation between Druk and Drushya, the seer and seen, the subject and object. This is the method which is followed, one of the popular methods followed in Vedanta, distinction between the seer and the seen, between subject and object. Because Atma, the self is subject, everything else is object. And so, this becomes necessary because well, human being habitually identifies himself with the body and mind and intellect complex, which is what we call prakriti or the personality. He is a person and this is personality. The person, the distinction between the person and the personality. Distinction between the self and non-self. Just as when the bulb is glowing, there are two elements involved there, the filament and electricity. We should know that the glow in the filament is due to electricity. So, so we should know that this glow of life, which is there, this body, the mind complex, is glowing with life. That glow of life is due to the consciousness and not due to its own self. <clears throat> so one who knows his body, one who knows the personality, tam prahu, to him they say, kshetragnya, he is called kshetragnya. Kshetragnya, this is a word made up of two elements, kshetra and nya. Kshetram jana didi, kshetragnya. One who knows the kshetra is called kshetragnya. So there are two things involved there, kshetra and kshetragnya, the field and the knower of the field, the non-self and the self the object and the subject. Since the lumping happens in our life, therefore, this distinction is being pointed out. We say it for some reason, even though I know very well that this body, I'm aware of this body. I'm aware of my sense organs. I'm aware of my mind. I'm aware of all of this. And that it should be very clear to me that I'm aware of them. That I'm not that. And somehow that distinction goes away when it comes to this personality. And therefore, Lord Krishna points out, as Vedanta does, that this body or this personality is the kshetra and the one who knows the personality is kshetra This knowing can be the knowing of anybody. Everybody knows the personality or the knower in the sense of the one who has the knowledge based on the teaching of the scriptures that I am the self and this is non-self. But even everybody knows this. Even without being taught everybody is aware of the body. Except we don't pay attention to this. So paying attention to what we know becomes knowledge. Just paying attention to this day-to-day fact that this body, etc., our mind is actually the object of my awareness. So when this teaching is imparted, then one knows that I am the subject and this body is the object. <coughs>
But the one who knows his body, one who knows the kshetra is a kshetra gnya, he is called the subject. He is the knower of the field. He is the self. <coughs> is it all that you have to know? This is very important knowledge. In fact, this is in Sankhya Shastra, so in the philosophy of Sankhya, this is what they teach. This is what we call, what they call, Purusha Prakriti Vivekaha. Discrimination or separation of Purusha and Prakriti, the person and the personality. But Vedanta goes a step further. So Sankhya is pretty close to Vedanta. Sankhya also teaches that. The self is different from this body. And the self is of the nature of consciousness. Changeless consciousness, that's what he is. Nirvikara chitvapuhu. The self is the nature of nirvikara, changeless, imperishable consciousness, that's the nature of the self. And you should know the distinction between the self and the non-self. But that is not enough. It is not enough that I know myself as different from my personality and I know myself as consciousness. But I should know a greater dimension about myself also. So first dimension that I should know about myself is that I am the consciousness. I am the subject. I am the self. The second thing that should be known is what Lord Krishna says. It is that knowledge which is the liberating knowledge. This knowledge also liberates great, greatly. But finally it is that knowledge which is totally liberating and that is said in the second verse here. Kshetragnyam chapimam vidhi, Kshetragnyam chapimam vidhi, Sarvakshetre shubharata, Sarvakshetre shubharata, Kshetrakshetragnyayor jnanam, Kshetrakshetragnyayor jnanam, Yatadjnanam matamama, Yatadjnanam matamama. So here Lord Krishna makes a very profound statement. Kshetragnyam apicha maam vidhi. Arjuna also understand that, that Kshetragnya, the knower of the field, that subject, the self is indeed maam vidhi, know that to be me. Lord Krishna says, know the Kshetragnya as me. Who is me? Maam Nara, who? I, who is Narayana? Again, when Lord Krishna uses the pronoun I, then we should understand in what sense it is used. In Bhagavad Gita, very rarely Lord Krishna used the pronoun I in the sense of the son of Vasudeva, of son of Devaki. In some places he may use. So, Vrishninam, Vasudevaham, Pandavanam, Dhananjaya, I am the Vasudeva among all the Vrishnis. There he means the son of Vasudeva. That's about all. But generally when Lord Krishna uses the pronoun I, he means Ishvara, he means the Lord, he means Param Brahma. So sometimes a Saguna Brahma or sometimes a Nirguna Brahma. Here Lord Krishna when he uses the pronoun I in sense of Nirguna Brahma, in sense of the transcendental realities, understand that I the Narayana, the Parameshwara, Param Brahma is the self in all the Sarvakshetraeshu, in all the Kshetra, in all the personalities, in all the bodies. Kshetragnyam. See that the interesting thing is the word Kshetragnya is used in the second verse in singular. Sarvakshetreshu, that is plural. Sarvakshetreshu means 
in all the bodies, in all the personalities. Know me to be the person in all the personalities. So persons are how many? One. Personalities are many. Countless. Brahmadi stambhapariyanteshu. The personalities begin with Brahma, the creator, all the way up to a, a little blade of grass. So all the creatures, beginning from Brahma, all the way up to the minutest creature. It doesn't matter what it is, all the personalities. It doesn't matter what the personality is. Lord Krishna says, the person, the conscious self, the Atma, the self, is nothing but myself. I, Narayana, or the Lord, is the self of all. <coughs> then, thus we have now many and we have one. Now what happens is that this one seems to be divided in many. Account of identification, the one appears to be divided in many. And when that Narayana, now Swamiji, who is this Kshetrakya? Narayana. Then who identifies with the body? Narayana. Who is myself? Brahman, the limitless. Then who is the one that identifies with the body? Brahman. Who is the samsari? Brahman. Who is suffering from sense of limitation? Brahman. That's the only entity. Lord Krishna says it, I am the self in all the beings. I am the person in all the personalities. Even the one I who appears to be divided in many personalities is in fact undivided. The indivisible appears to be divided. The indivisible appears to be divided. That shows that the divisions are not real. Then the space appears to be divided. You erect many walls in the space, many enclosures are there, and looks as though the space is divided. Your own house also, the space is divided. There's a bedroom space, and then the living room space, and the family room space, and the kitchen space, and the basement space, and whatever spaces are there. It appears as though each space is different from the other space. And each space has its own name also. Bedroom is different from the living room, and that is different from the family room. There is different from the prayer room. There is different from the basement. There is different from the playroom. And all kinds of rooms are there. That's different from the bathroom again. Each space has a different name. Each space seems to have a different characteristic. It appears as though the space is divided into many enclosures. In fact, it is not. So walls create an appearance of division in space, but in fact they don't divide. So space without being divided appears to be divided. Munduka Upanishad gives a very beautiful example. Yatha sudiptat pavakat visphulingaha sahasrashaha prabhuvante sarupaha Just as from the well blazing fire, the sparks emanate. So sparks in hundreds emanate from well blazing fire. Sahasrashaha in hundreds and thousands. Sarupaha, each spark is the same nature as fire. So then the question is, are the sparks really different from the fire? It looks as though a spark emanating from fire is different from the fire. Yes, what is fire? That, you see, usually we identify fire with that kind of a flame and then what emanates from that, the little insignificant thing is called spark and therefore we think that the fire is divided into many sparks. In fact, the fire is not divided into many sparks. What is divided into many is the wood splits into many small little particles 
and the fire associated with each little particle is called a spark. Therefore, where the division is, the division is not in the fire. Division is in the wood. That's called the upadhi. That little particle of wood creates the appearance of division in the fire and therefore the fire appears to be divided into many sparks. But really, when you examine a spark, what is really fire? Or when you examine the fire, what is fire? It is not that a particular shape is called fire. What is fire? The principle of fire is nothing but heat and light. Fire is heat and light. What is a spark? Also, heat and light. And then why do you call some a spark? That's our problem, of course, because we always, a spark is something that is very minute. And therefore, the minuteness is given importance. And therefore, we call it spark. We don't call it fire. But really, the true characteristic of spark also is what? Spark also is nothing but the principle of light and heat. What is fire? Not a particular shape, but the principle of heat and light. And therefore, if we disregard therefore what we call the size, because fire does not have size. And therefore, in the spark also we focus our attention to just the heat and the light. Then we recognize that the spark is in essence nothing but the fire. So Upanishad gives this kind of an example to show how even where there appears to be division, in fact there is no division, the division is apparent. The division in wood is real, but division in fire is apparent. Similarly also in our life, there is a division. That this personality consisting of the body-mind complex is different from that personality consisting of body-mind intellect. And certainly that personality is different from this personality. This personality has its own history. And therefore, it has its own impressions. It has performed its own karma. It has to also fulfill its own agenda or destiny. And therefore, every personality has its own composition. Even though the basic elements from which the personality is made is one. That is body also is the product of five gross elements. And every body also is product of five gross elements. This body also is in fact the modification of food. Every body is modification of food. That way also there is oneness. Of course, we are so much identified with one body that I am not willing to call it similar to But then... Any other body is what? Nothing but the modification of food. It is what? The product of five elements. And that way also if you reduce all these divisions into their components, then also we can see the oneness. What is my prana? Is nothing but modification of air. And anybody, anybody's breath also is nothing but the same air. So we are in fact breathing the same air. We are in fact drawing from the same five elements. My mind also is made up of the five subtle elements and my intellect also a product of five subtle elements and that is how even at the level of personality also the basic components are the same. But we may say that yes there are many personalities just as there are many little particles of the wood and similarly also many little personalities are there each personality is insignificant as compared to the whole cosmos. Any consciousness associated with the personality then comes to be called what we call a jiva or individual soul. But where is the individuality? The individuality is in the personality. There is no individuality in what we call the consciousness of self. But on account of divisions and the level of personality, the self also appears to be divided. And therefore, 
One division is there, namely the division of personality. But then the division of self that appears to be is not the true division. Therefore, there are not too many selves. Just as there are not too many fires. There are not too many spaces. And similarly also, there are not too many consciousnesses. The consciousness that you are is the consciousness that I am. This consciousness illumines this personality and elements that. Same consciousness illumines that personality and elements that. Just as one electricity flows in number of bulbs and makes every bulb glow. Each bulb has its own personality. Some bulb may be 5 watts, somebody may, some bulb may be 25 watts, 100 watts, 500 watts. Some bulb may be red, some bulb may be green. Each bulb can have its own personality. And therefore, the manifestation of electricity would be different in every bulb. However, what manifests to the bulb, namely electricity, is one alone. And similarly also, the manifestation of life is different in every individual. But the difference is due to the medium of manifestation, namely the personality. For the person that manifests in all the personalities is one alone. That's what Lord Krishna says, Kshetragyam Chapimam Vindhi Kshetragyam Apichar. So, Arjuna, first level of knowledge is that may you know that you are not this personality. May you see the distinction between the subject and the object and recognize that you are not the personality, you are the person. But what's the nature of person? The conscious being. What's the nature of conscious being? Just consciousness. That you are consciousness without a form, without a characteristic, without conditioning. You are the unconditioned, formless consciousness. That's what you are. It's the same unconditioned consciousness that is the self in all the personalities. Therefore, not only recognize yourself as different from the body, but recognize yourself as the self of all. Kshetragnyam Chabhimam Vedhi Nirastha Sarvopadhi Vedam The one that is devoid of all the upadhis or all conditioning, that unconditioned self is one in all the personalities. And that is what we call the transcendental reality. It pervades every personality. Like an actor assuming various roles. He is a person. Beggar also is one role, that's the personality. King is another role, yet another personality. A minister is a third role, yet in third personality, the actor can say, I am the person or the actor in all the personalities. What is he? The one who pervades all the personalities, at the same time transcends the personalities. So also the self is all pervading principle, at the same time it transcends. And therefore, a samsari, one that transcends all the samsara. And Arjuna understand that, that's what you are. So this statement is what we call, same as tattvamasi. That thou art, meaning, but in order to understand that, you should know the meaning of thou. So that was the first verse tells us what is the meaning of thou. What is it? That you are in fact different from the body, the subject. And that's the subject that you are is the subject that everyone is. Self that you are is the self of all. And Brahman is the self of all. And therefore, for the self of one personality, we use the word Atma. For the self of all the beings, we use the word Brahman. So Brahman is the universal self. Atma is as though the individual self. Sometimes the word Paramatma means the universal self. Atma means the individual self. Here we are told that the individual self is in fact the universal self. I am the self of all. 
So, Rudhanika Upanishad says, Brahmavai Namagrase Tadatmanameva Vek Aham Brahmasmi. That this person, even before the knowledge also, was Brahman. But when he came in contact with a compassionate teacher, and when the teacher told him that, hey, you are not a samsari, in fact, you are Brahman. And thus, when the truth was unfolded, he came to know Aham Brahmasmi. He came to know his own self as Brahman, the limitless. The smart, the saram abhavat, and by virtue of knowledge, he became everything. Upanishad says, by virtue of that knowledge, he became everything. How can he become everything? But he was everything. But the idea of not everything was superimposed, and when superimposition goes away, he just recognizes the truth. Kshetrajnam, Chapamam, Vidhi, Sarvakshetra, Shubharata, Hebharata, no me to be the Kshetrajna, the self, the subject, or the self in all the, all in all the personality. Kshetra Kshetrajna Yohoya Jnanam, Tajnanam Matamama. Therefore, this knowledge of the distinction between the Kshetra and the Kshetrajna, the distinction between the person and the personality, here Arjuna, that is a true knowledge in my opinion. Even the knowledge is there, but this is a true knowledge because this is the liberating knowledge. Other knowledge is what we call aparavidya, inferior knowledge. This is called paravidya, the superior knowledge. Inferior knowledge with reference to kshetra. The superior knowledge with reference to kshetra So Lord Krishna says, this is the true knowledge in my opinion because this is the liberating knowledge. <coughs> so thus, in the very first two verses, Lord Krishna unfolds the vision of Upanishads, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, or Tattvamasi, that thou art. <coughs> okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyate Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutravasya Krutovande Bhagavanta Punapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti Shanti Shanti